Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Air It Out podcast. I am your host, Ryan the Goose Gosker, here with you as always. And if you keep track at home and you're a non-math major, we've got episode 59 coming at you. Can't believe we've made it this far. I remember episode one way back in the day, the day being uh, around two years ago in April. Uh, episode 59, we're going to go with a famous linebacker by the name of Jack Ham, who helped anchor the Steel Curtain. Uh, for those Steelers teams that won four Super Bowls there uh, in their time. And obviously he played alongside Jack Lambert, uh, guys like that. And I've got my co-host, Jolan Biokwa, in studio with me today. Jolan, what's going on, dude? What's going on, brother? I'm going to go with Luke Keekley here. Uh, it's going to be the second 59 inducted to the Hall of Fame. Obviously Panthers legend, defensive player of the year 2013, rookie of the year 2012, seven-time Pro Bowler, five-time first-team All-Pro, you name it. Yeah, absolutely. And as you mentioned, uh, Jack Ham being the only 59 inducted into the Hall of Fame right now. Now, Joel, we've got a lot going on in the sports world, and I know it seems like we talk about that all the time, but generally, generally speaking and genuinely speaking, sports is the gift that keeps on giving, right? Like, everything runs its course in life. Friends give you gifts, and then they stop giving you gifts. Family members give you gifts, and then they stop giving you gifts because you get older, and all this yada 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 hoopla. And, and you gotta buy the gifts. Sports only gets better, only continues to provide and give us gifts every single week. And Joel, on this week, we're gonna start with gain the word the two greatest words in postseason history is game seven. Now, we don't talk a lot of hockey on this podcast. We talk a lot of basketball. We've got two basketball game sevens going on. We've got five NHL. Game seven's going on. And let me remind you, the NHL is only in round one. This is round one in the NHL. You've got to be kidding me, Joel. And I believe, I believe, if my mind is uh, remembers correctly, according to ESPN stats and info, that is the most game sevens in a two-day stretch ever, topping May 3rd through 4th in 2014 that had five in a two-day stretch. We've got seven, Joel. Before we go over any of the game sevens, let me just ask you, the importance, rather. Do you think players can define their careers with good or bad Game 7s? Do you think it all comes down to that one final game where people really sit back on and go, hey, this guy is one of the greatest? Well, not if you want to be a GOAT in basketball, it automatically discredits you because the supposed GOAT never played in a Game 7, and supposedly that's a bad thing for players now to play in Game 7s. a bunch of Game 5 round 1s. I don't, I, I don't really understand that whole... That whole argument bothers me because... If you win, you win. If you lose, you lose. I really don't care how many games it takes you. Um, he was far superior than his talent in the finals just about every year. So I would imagine those series wouldn't go seven. Um, but I don't think it's a discredit that the series went seven. I, I, I hated that argument. Regardless, game sevens define careers. We look at a, a matchup like Phoenix and Dallas. Uh, obviously in Phoenix and that matchup is important for a guy like Chris Paul. That can be a legacy-changing... Now, some people say his legacy set in stone, but others will say that's this is a legacy-defining game. Well, to me, Chris Paul specifically, this is one of the games that can take him through that five area to a top three-point guard all time, especially right. if he gets a title. You look at other guys, Curry, Stockton, even some of the older ones, like way back when, who played with like Bill Russell and them, like the Koozies of the world. Chris Paul has cemented himself already as a top seven guy, you would think. Right now, you're right. This game seven, this playoffs 
entirely could really define him as that guy. Absolutely. And then you look at a guy like Devin Booker, who's up and coming and maybe looking to make a resume of his own. Game sevens matter. This is a good question and a good player to bring up right now. Absolutely. Because we haven't talked about this at all. But Devin Booker is a notorious, not loser, but he wasn't a winner without Chris Paul. Do you think Devin Booker almost needs to separate himself this game to really separate his legacy from Chris Paul? Does this need to be his team? I don't because I'm not a believer in guys. Like, guys, if you look at any champion in the history of basketball, they're linked to somebody, right? Like, Magic had Kareem. Michael had Scott. Like Shaq the, had Kobe. Right, Shaq had Kobe. Kobe LeBron had, had D-Wade. LeBron had Kyrie. LeBron had Anthony Davis. Fair point. Like, we, these guys are paired. They need the right pairing together. I think he needs to play exceptional, but I do believe that Chris Paul is the more important player to the team overall. But Devin Booker's got to be great because Luka Doncic is great because he's got the most points. He averages the most points ever in elimination games at 39 points per game. That is a five-and-a-half-point increase from... Second place, LeBron sitting at 33 and a half. Does Luka go to the best player in the NBA, maybe right alongside Giannis right now, if he wins this matchup in the series? No, he's got to win a title. Uh, that, that to me, I, I, take, I take that title of best player in the league very seriously. And Giannis is the guy until he is not. And in order to be surpassed, you have to win a championship. I'm sorry. It, it would be great to take down the number one seed, the team everybody thought was going to the finals. You gotta win a title, in my opinion. Is this almost the early LeBron contradiction where LeBron he's ringless, he's not the best player in the NBA, he's ringless, he's not the best. But he got to a finals. Okay. Right. He he dragged his team. He did drag his team to a finals. So that may be an unfair expectation on my part that he's got to win it, but he's got to he's got to at least get there. Almost like the Carmelo Anthony paradox. Right. Like he was always one of those top five guys, but wasn't ever cemented as the guy in the Correct. NBA. Okay. Correct. That's fair. Correct. Let's move it over to Jason Tatum right now. Balling. Celtics, Giannis and the Bucks. Yeah. Another game seven. First of all, how did the Celtics not win game five at home? I mean, you're up 14 in the fourth quarter, and it felt just kind of like you took your foot off the gas a little bit. Marcus Smart decision-making wasn't the best. Absolutely. He should not be your main ball. Had a, I'm sorry. Great he, game six. I'm great player. Gonna... Does a lot of good things. If the clock's under three minutes... Jason Tatum plays point guard. I'm sorry, or Jalen Brown plays point guard. You pay those guys way too much money and expect way too much out of them for them not to be the main ball handlers when it matters the most. And actually, me and my friends Kevin and Ronnie had this conversation because Ronnie was for Marcus Smart handling that ball. He's a main role player. Right, right. But when you're when you rely mostly on two guys to run that team and Tatum and Brown. Those are the guys you want yeah. to have the ball in the stretch. It's just as simple as and that. It, it's not it's not like having Shaq down there where like Shaq can't dribble the ball up and down the floor. Like we see it all the time. There's occasions where Giannis plays point. Giannis will take the ball up. And he's a bit he's bigger guy. He's almost seven foot. You know, like they these star players, you know, and again, part of it is they've got to want to do it, and part of it is they have to just it has to be done by the team. Well, it has to be a suggestion. By the team. Let's go back to Game Six right now. Um, Boston sure. versus Bucks. Tatum led the lead, uh, led the game with forty six points scoring. Giannis is right there behind them with forty four. But the crucial part to me is Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown combined for forty three of those other points, meaning the three headed monster went for eighty plus together. It's almost ninety points. Do yeah. you think the Milwaukee Bucks have that deep of depth without Chris Middleton to now win Game Seven? I do. The only reason I'd say it is because we saw him do it. You know, we saw them win in Boston Garden. It wasn't like Boston won game five, handled home court. 
Milwaukee went back and handled home court in Game Six. We've se- we've seen them win on the road. They are still, and you know, I'm big on this, Jolan. They're still the defending champions, and until you slay that dragon, they are still the defending champions, and they're, they still have a heartbeat. We'll go to the Luca paradox. Sure. If Jason Tatum and company dethrone Giannis yeah. right here, right now. Does Jason Tatum sneak into that top playoff spot guy? I mean, Jason Tatum, I think he's taking his leap into the superstar stratosphere this year. Um, top five I, I don't know. Uh, I, would, I wouldn't I would put him top five. I think he's top ten. But yeah. I, I would not put him top five. And I think these guys have room to grow. Like, we forget that these guys are super young. Like, these guys are still ridiculously young. Yeah. yeah, like, they've still got a long, long way to go. It is just really, really hard uh, to to see somebody passing Gian when you watch Giannis play the way he does, and we were talking about this uh, leading up to the show, which is that Giannis in Game Six went for forty four and twenty, which hadn't been done since Shaq. Like, and we're watching him get calls all the time. He he probably should lead the league in charges every year. I mean, the dude just runs through people to the basket. But he's a superstar. He's getting those calls, and he's he looks dominant. And nine times out of ten, Jolan, when you watch him play basketball, you just go, "Wait a minute, how do you exactly stop this guy?" Well, you actually bring up a great point, and it's getting calls now. A lot of controversy, rather, has been around the NBA Bucks Celtics series in particular. Do you think refs nowadays or umpires nowadays have too much leeway? Should we know their names? And in the age of sports betting, do they control the outcomes of games almost? Well, I mean, they do, but again, like that to me is a is a waiver or disclaimer that should go into any sports bet ever. Is hey, there is human error in this, and they are legally, you know, not, you know, not held liable given given the circumstances. Um, listen, I think we have a problem. Superstar treatment. We have a problem. Well, it was funny. ESPN put up a graphic this past week of calls in each series, and they've been. Literally within a point of each, uh, within a, a foul per game of each other, in terms of calls, they've been relatively consistent. Speaking, now again, that doesn't take into account some series maybe more physical than others and stuff like that. But Joan, I just we are getting to a point where officials, some of these people got to realize like officials don't want to do this stuff no more. Like my mom always jokes with me, and you know my mom, I love my mom, and she always says to me like, you know the game so well, like you would be a good official. I said, I don't want it. I said, you know, there are people that want that smoke. I don't want that smoke. Even at the youth level. Yeah, what's the point in receiving a death threat from somebody? Especially as a pro ref. Like, I, you know, Little League, there was actually just a video, Joel, on that's going viral of an umpire walking off of a game due to an argument with parents about balls and strikes. And he said, this is a game about your kids. So what? What are you doing? And we... We've lost that fact, Joel. I'm like, this is about these athletes and what they're doing. And it's not about... It's not always about the fans. Do you think um, umpire starts calling a little more strikes outside the box, one ref's letting them be more physical, do you think it's on the superstars now to adjust to how the refs are coaching, or not coaching, or refereeing the game, rather? Right, because at the end of the day, like the officials will sit down and they'll review the tape and say, yeah, we were probably wrong here. Um, obviously, they have their own way of like how we would watch game tape after games and stuff like that. They have their own way of doing that. And so they understand the mistakes. But in the moment, they're not going to change because what they see they're doing is correct. And is it you, have to, you have to adjust to that. Coach talked to us about that all the time. 
all the time. We used to have officials that would throw holding flags like like he was throwing candy at a Little League parade at the beginning of the year. Like, you had to make sure that you adjusted yourself, and no matter how many times you told Coach, I didn't hold him, Coach told you, you know what, be better next time. Make sure your hands are more inside maybe than they've ever been. So you have to adjust. And I get it. The NBA is different because... We see a lot more superstars get more calls because it's more it's more of an individualized sport. Physicality level turns up in the playoffs as well. Physicality turns up, which I'm okay with. Me too. I'm not I'm not a fan of these little hand check fouls and what all James that crap. Harden made a career off of in 2018. Right, which they've tried to get rid of here. There's still some things when you watch an NBA game, you're like, oh god, please, can we just get rid of this? Um, but. Yeah, I mean, stars will get calls, but they they do need to adjust a little bit better because they, you know, they're going to find themselves ejected from a lot of these games for arguing. Let's make the Game 7 predictions real quick. Bucks, Celtics, Mavericks, Suns, who you got winning before we head into baseball? Well, I believe on the pod I picked the Bucks versus the Warriors in the finals, so I'm going to take the Bucks. Uh, in Game 7 on the road. Nothing's changed? Big Game 6 from Tatum? Nothing? No, I, I do wonder, and I don't have the stats in front of me, but I do wonder how Tatum does uh, the game after a, an explosion like that. I, I, It feels like he doesn't perform as well, but obviously that's something I would... I, I'm not going to put that out there as a definite without actually looking at the stats. I just don't know if you're going to get that same production form. Maybe you're going to get that off the bench now. Bench guys shoot better at home, stuff like that. I think Drew Holiday is a big component of this game. Can he stay out of foul trouble, and can he show the league why he should have been Defensive Player of the Year? And or listen, I'm not saying at I least debated. At least debated, right? Like he Better. may have a case, you know, because we see this all the time. Guys are uh, as Dick Vitale says, a PTP or he's a primetime player. Yep. You know what I mean? He shows up in the postseason. LeBron did that for years. It's why the argument about his MVPs all the time. Oh, well, he only played 60 games in the regular season, but do you, are you watching him in the postseason? There ain't no guy more valuable than that. So, yeah, it's kind of that argument. So I'll take the Bucks, and then I'll take the Suns at home. The home team, I believe, has won in this series by an average of 17 points a game. Opposite of Bucks celtics Yeah, so that has been uh, that has been a series that I, I think the home team, last cracks, last at-bats, uh, wins the game. From the top of the NBA, we'll go to the top of baseball. We'll stay locally. This morning, I had sent you a text message. Yankees, Mets, let's break them down individually. You were totally on board. Yankees right now have the best record in baseball. 24-8, I believe. Mets have the most wins in the National League, I believe. 23-12, if I am correct. Love those numbers. So let's go down. We'll break down position to position, see which team at the end has the most advantages per position, and then we'll kind of roll into a... The rest of our show. Let's get it. So let's start with uh, first base. We'll do it simple. Rizzo versus Pete Alonzo. Who are you going with here and why? Yeah, I mean, we had Molder on the podcast last week, and, and you, you watch Anthony Rizzo early on this year, and he's literally played on a different planet. He has played on gold. Yeah, he has played on Saturn as compared to, um, you know, seemingly every other first baseman in the league playing on planet Earth. Uh, there was a lot of discussion, obviously, in the offseason. Should they have gone after a guy like Freddie Freeman? Should they have traded and then signed a guy like Matt Olson, uh, who is significantly younger than Anthony Rizzo is? Rizzo has been a superstar for this team. Pete Alonso has yet to really find his stride, I think. He is starting to see the ball better, Jolan, I think, which is really important. And he's starting to get over. This is something I talked about with Zach Kruk. I forget whether it was on my radio show or his. But we talked about Pete not having to hit a home run every time he's up there 
or the only hits when you see, oh, Pete's in a four for 23 slump. It's not like a liner to center field. It's four home runs, and then, you know, the others are, are just all outs. He's starting to spread the ball around the ballpark a little bit. Um, hopefully the dead in baseballs go away with the weather, and uh, he could start just smoking home runs again. He hit a 383-foot out that had an expected batting average of 750. And it's and it's just not a hit. It's ridiculous. It's absurd, but it's not the conversation. I'll take Anthony Rizzo at this moment in time. We'll see how the summer progresses. And uh, 1-0 Yanks. Interesting. Rizzo just feels like a New York guy, too. You know what yeah, I'm saying? He's got the personality, see, man. Get a on the side. Like, I don't he's, know. He just fits New York He's properly. a good dude. He I seems like a good dude. He's one of those guys that brought in last year that really are worth his weight yeah. in gold again. I would we'll, agree. We'll move on to second base. We'll get DJ LeMayu versus Jeff McNeil. Kind of similar players, athletic, can move the ball around, can hit in spots. What do you think right here? Right, and I think overall in a career you take DJ LeMahieu. I think playing right now I would take Jeff McNeil. And because Jeff McNeil, I believe he's batting, oh, he's almost batting, he's got to be batting almost 330 on the year. Which is so, which is solid. Which is super ridiculous. And that is just, that's the Jeff McNeil we all know, right? Like that is, that's the guy we've been waiting for all year long. And we even waited for him last year. Yeah, his batting average is 310. 310 right now. So he's hitting the ball all over the ballpark. He's getting base hits. And he's part of, actually, Joel, on a stat about the Mets. This was as of Friday, I believe. I think they've had a couple since. The Mets had 54 or 55 infield singles this year. That was 17 more than anybody else in the league. And Jeff McNeil is a big component of that. Right now, I'll take Jeff McNeil. We move on to our shortstop position. We have Isaiah Connor Falafe. Falefa. Falefa, there we go. And obviously Francisco Lindor, a superstar over here on the Mets. What are you going with? Yeah, this is, well, this is, Falefa's played really well. Um, I think he's been solid defensively, maybe a little bit more solid than Lindor. Um, Lindor struggled a little bit defensively. To his credit, no one believed that IKF was the right signing for the Yankees, Yankees fans included. Well, because they've got Volpe down there in in, uh, in the minors that is supposed to be the next coming of Derek Jeter is all I keep that's hearing about. That's big shoes to fill. He's a local guy, and there is a there they but Joe, and that's what they did by not signing one of those marquee shortstops. They said this kid Volpe or Volp or whatever his name is is our savior long term. Now, uh, so yeah, obviously uh, Connor Falefa is a is a gap shortstop. Um, I'll take Lindor. I know he's been struggling a hair at the plate, but Jolan, he was also at the beginning of the year he's hitting like three fifty. Like guys, we have to know that things kind of balance their way out. I still trust him in bigger spots than Connor Falefa, and uh, I think defensively he's going to sharpen up as the year goes on. Give me Francisco Lindor, the $341 million man. We'll move to third base. Another head-scratch signing in this past offseason was Josh Donaldson to the Yankees. All that kerfuffle with Garrett Cole, if you will. Kerfuffle, nice yeah. word. And nice then Edward, word. Eduardo Escobar on the Mets side. Who are you taking here in this matchup? Oh, God. Well, It's a close one on every yeah, position. Yeah, the hard part is Donaldson can't hit the broad side of a barn, and Escobar's really cooled off since the beginning of the year. Uh, I believe he's more of a... Had it, uh, the broadcast does a great job explaining some of these things. They said that Escobar is a fastball changeup hitter, and they've been going more curveballs, sliders on him. Uh, he's, he's been struggling a little bit more. So um, That's just this is really a flip games. of a coin, Jolan, honestly, in my, in, in my opinion. And being a biased Met fan, give me Escobar. You know, I, I just, you know, and again, like I know Donaldson has the potential to break out. 
and he's got short enough fences there in in down in left field and down in right field at Yankee Stadium. Like he can get real hot and hit a few homers. But I'll take Escobar for right now because I do think it is pretty close to a flip of the coin. Let's move to left field right now. We have Joey okay. Gallo, Mark Hanha. Who are you going with? I'm going to go with Canna because he's the more consistent Canna. hitter. Um, Gallo, we know, is just a strikeout king. He's the leader of the shift band that's coming into Major League Baseball. One of the biggest, I want to buy him one of the biggest diapers ever because it's it's one of the softest cry for rule changes I've ever seen in across any of the major sports. He wants to be a little baby about the shift. And I just, it, it, it's ridiculous, Jolan. Take out zone defense in the NFL. I mean, come on. Like, this is, we got to stop being a child about this. Hit the ball down the left field line. Do it once, please. Twice, three times in a game. Do it once, please. Um, I'll take Canna. I think he's more consistent at the plate. Can get on base a little bit more. Uh, and I like his defense. Move to center field. A closer matchup here. We have Aaron Hicks versus Brandon Nemo. Who are you taking? Uh, I will take... <clears throat> this is tough. I think Hicks is... Hicks has had a decent year so far, at least a, a bounce-back type year compared to what he was last year. I believe last year he was just simply atrocious. Um, Definitely the type of year to keep him on the roster and being content with it. Right. It was one of those things where Yankee fans were ready to, you know, ship him off to the uh, next next uh, universe there. not even He's not even going to stay in this galaxy or this solar system. So his stats... I mean, he's hitting 217 so far this year. He's got six RBIs. So... In that case, Joel Allen, I'm sure he's playing well defensively, but give me Brandon Nimmo. Like, I, I, I like, first of all, we can call him Nemo because I like that name, you know, finding Nemo. But he has been great at the top of the lineup, getting on base. He finds ways. I think he's got a 25-game He's got a 25 game on-base streak, I believe, along with, like, a seven-game hitting streak. Uh, he's batting 299 this year. He's got 10 in ribbies. On uh, 836 uh, slug. I- I'll take Brandon Nimmo on that one, or OPS, whatever it is. Uh, give me Brandon Nimmo in center field. We save the last outfield position right now for a heavyweight matchup. Aaron Judge, Starling Marte, two guys who are worth their weight in diamond to their ball clubs. Who are you going with? Yeah, I genuinely think, and Joel, we talked about this in prep, obviously. I genuinely think if you go through the other 29 teams in this league and compare, or 28, and compare with Starling Marte, he probably wins out because he's been extremely effective for the uh, for the Mets. He does everything. Maybe Bryce Harper, but yeah. Maybe, maybe even Bryce Harper's hurt, so that would probably diminish him a little when he bit. Was healthy, though, was right, absolutely. So Starling Marte has been everything the Mets paid for and everything they hoped they were getting: the speed, the power, and just the uh, the wittiness. But I mean, come on, it's got to be Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge is making. The case that I deserve to be paid every single penny I'm asking for this offseason, and he's doing it in grand style. Well, that's a great point to bring up, too. He's doing it on a contract year where he already denied the last contract. Now, with Soto in the mix next year, who knows if Judge is even a Yankee? But he's worth his way, obviously, like I said, in Diamond, and New York, he's definitely the top superstar right now. We move on to the DH position now across the entire major league. Giancarlo Stanton, Dom Smith. Stanton's worth a ton of money. Dom Smith's not worth as much, but who do you got here? Yeah, I think one of the scary stats about Dom Smith is I believe his last home run was July 21st of last year. Um, that's just not that's just not good. Especially um, when you're playing DH first base role. Yeah, I mean, it's it's him and some guy from the Angels as the only players in Major League Baseball with over 200 plate appearances since then to not have hit a home run. So that's not good. Um, he is getting on base, though. He is getting on base, um, obviously with the move of Robinson Cano out of the team. 
he is now that basically permanent DH. Which the Wilpons would have never done with how much money Robinson no, was owed. No, absolutely not. They never would have done it. But this is Giancarlo Stanton. And he is still a weapon when it comes to big moments and big spots, and you still don't want to face him when it matters the most. We move on to ace pitching. Now, we had a conversation of who should be the Yankees' ace. We decided with the amount of money he owed, he is owed. Garrett Cole will take this spot regardless of how he's performing. So let's go Max Scherzer right now because DeGrom's obviously hurt versus Garrett Cole. Who do you have as the top ace right now in New York? Right, and we're what we're not going to do is say, well, we're going to do this if DeGrom is healthy and if he's not. We'll talk. We'll bring this back up if DeGrom becomes healthy. And plays to the level he plays. And plays to the Big level that right we now. know. Um, regardless, I would, take, I would take Max Scherzer. Um, Garrett Cole has pitched much better as of late than he did. Scherzer's given up a bunch of hits, though. Not Scherzer's leaving the run. given but... up a bunch of hits. I Garrett Cole has been better than the beginning of the season when he was just pouting his way around the mound and blaming everybody and their mother. Year. Right, like he's, you know, he's the infielder that looks at his glove after he commits an error. Like, you know, it just doesn't make a ton of sense. But regardless, I'll take Scherzer because I think Scherzer's a bulldog, and no matter what, no matter what, no matter how many times he's getting hit around Jolan, he finds a way into the sixth and the seventh inning, and he keeps the game close. Usually, nine times out of ten, he keeps the game close, and he's getting you to the best arms in our bullpen, Drew Smith, Seth Lugo, guys like that, and then hopefully to Diaz. He's keeping you in every game, and he's an absolute bulldog and is not going to make any excuses. Let me just ask you something about sure. these individual players. Who do you think's more valuable to the rest of the pitching staff? Do you think it's Garrett Cole or like Max Scherzer, who's taking like a Miguel under his wing? Yeah, I think it's Scherzer because I think the leadership. And again, you can argue, you know, uh, the Mets haven't had great leadership. You know, the last since what David Wright retired. You know, two thousand fifteen ish. Yeah, it's it's been a while. So I I as a Met fan, and me as a baseball fan, I think Scherzer's more valuable to the clubhouse. Then Cole is. Cole is a $300 million man. So whether he goes out and in the next eight starts has a combined eight innings and like 80 earned runs, it's not going to matter. He's going out there every fifth day. The same thing with Scherzer, but nobody's going to bother him. And he kind of, he seems like the kind that's like, he he's good with his team. I'm not saying he's a bad teammate, but he seems like the type, like when stuff goes bad like that, he'd more rather like internalize it and try to figure it out. Scherzer is a guy, we see him in the dugout. He takes three of the other pitchers. They sit there on the iPad and they're just watching and they're they're, uh, what's the word? They are debriefing their starts and and what went wrong, what they saw, what they're seeing. I think Max Scherzer overall. Uh, I'll take him in the in the locker room. I mean, granted, Scherzer obviously a little older. Yeah. He's been to big games, Absolutely. won a World Series, so he's some guy you would rather lean on. I mean, Garrett Cole's done it too, but he's just a little bit younger right Absolutely. now in his career. So we move on to the Nestor Cortez. Chris Bassett argument right now. Nestor's what their Yankees fans are calling their ace. Obviously not being paid ace money. Right. Who do you take in this uh, second pitcher matchup? Yeah, I mean, listen, I love Chris Bassett. He's been an all-star. Um, he was an all-star with the A's last year. Great acquisition. But we didn't really, you know, again, I, I said, joked about this on my radio show. Not a lot of people have the West Coast on their ticket package for Major League Baseball. Okay, so you don't get a chance to watch a lot of those West Coast games. He was ridiculously good, and there's some great offenses out there. So that adds even to it more. Chris Bassett has been a home run addition. I feel like we say that a lot with the additions that the Mets have made. Three big ones. But Mark, they've been amazing. Starling, and now um, Bassett. So obviously, and Scherzer. And Scherzer, obviously. And yeah. Scherzer. So 
Um, and, and Escobar, I believe, will come around and, and all that kind of stuff. But regardless, I love Chris Bassett. The answer to this is Nestor Cortez. Nestor Nasty Cortez, as they call him, as Yankee fans, he has been electric this year, Jovan. I, I saw there's a play probably two weeks ago where he dove to first, put the glove on the bag, got the out. New York eats that stuff up. Those are the kind of athletes we love to have. Nestor's got a chip on his shoulder, and he's pitched extremely well uh, here here in New York. We'll move on to the third pitching matchup, Montgomery versus McGill. McGill's inquisitive as ever, copying his game off, like that we set off Scherzer. Who do you take here in a breakout year from McGill? Yeah, this is interesting because we easily could have gone Carrasco. Carrasco's had a really, really Cookie. solid year. Uh, Cookie Carrasco. McGill, his ERA is inflated because his last start he was atrocious. Um, but I I would say over the course of the year, he's been really solid. This feels, this feels more like a coin flip to me. Uh, Jordan Montgomery just hasn't gotten the run support. Uh, I think that he's been kind of needing or has pitched well enough to. You know what I mean? He's a guy that will go six, seven, give up two runs. But he only gets two runs of support, three runs of support. So I think, honestly, this is tough. I think McGill's been really good. But I'm going to take Jordan Montgomery. I think, I think Jordan Montgomery has been... Uh, just a hair bit more electric. I was just trying to find this stat, but I couldn't. We moved on to closing pitchers, Edwin Diaz, Aldis Chapman. You mentioned they're both playing out of their skulls right now. Who do you got in this uh, closing pitcher matchup? Yeah, and I know a lot of people go to ERA, but I think this matchup goes deeper into that. Now, the ERA is Edwin Diaz is at 1.8, and Aldis Chapman is at 1.54. Now... That your your ERA, if it's lower, should then generally coincide with the WHIP being lower for said pitcher, and it's not. Edwin Diaz has a 1.8 ERA, but he's got a .9 WHIP, which is absurd. That like anything below one is ridiculously good. Okay, so the fact that he's at point, he's actually at .8, Jolan. I, I gave him a .1 higher. Point eight, and his stats are he's 15, 15 innings pitched. He's allowed three earned runs. He's allowed five walks. He has struck out 27 of 55 batters he's faced this year, Joel. And that is, and I know we don't have a ton of math majors, that is a whopping 49% of the batters he's faced he has struck out this year. That is a ridiculous, ridiculous number. Now, that doesn't mean Chapman's had a bad year, man. Like, he's gone 11 and two-thirds. He's allowed two earned runs, nine, nine walks, Joel, and that's what scares me a little bit. And his whip is 1.37. So right now, so far, we'll see the long run. I want to see Edwin Diaz hold on to this. Right now, as we sit here in the middle of May, I'll take Edwin Diaz right now. So that wraps up. And that's also, I never, I don't know if I ever thought I'd say that, by the way. Mets, Yankees, that wraps up our position yep. players. Mets, you side, 8-4. Maybe some buys there. Maybe if you're a hear. Yankees fan. But I think also, too, John, like, people have to remember, take this as May, middle of May talk, right? Let's see how these teams continue to roll into uh, June, July, August, the dog days. It could change very now, well. Do you feel that both these ball clubs are different in the aspects of how they felt? Maybe, um, I don't remember who said this, but as a fan, you kind of gas yourself into believing that teams are better than they are. This is the team that could win a World Series. But this year on both sides of the spectrum, it does feel truly different. Um, engineering runs, getting guys on base, walking more, striking out less. Do you think... Legitimately, that this could be a World Series matchup. 
I, I think the thing you said about teams and thinking they can go further, that is what that is the greatest thing sports ever offers us is hope. Right? We're going to talk about it later with the Giants. Almost a false sense of it. Right. The Giants have a, a win total that is very, very, in my opinion, generous. Okay? At least for Vegas standards. Almost free money right. against them. Right. Regardless, that's what sports offers us. It's hope. It's false hope. We as Met fans know false hope like anybody else in us this league. Us as humans know. Sometimes you just need a little bit of Right. It. So, but I do believe, and we talked about this last week a little bit with Moltner, I think the conversation is just different but behind these two teams. Oh, yeah. I know the Mets are gunning for a World Series. The Yankees expect to be in the World Series. There's a difference there. And I think the Mets, because they play in the league with the Dodgers, I just think they're they're just not there yet. I still think they need another bat in the lineup, and they definitely need another bullpen arm. But I think they've done an exceptional job to this point. Buck Showalter has been everything we've hoped he would be. Um, there was a stat, Joe, on he up until last night and I don't know if he did it last night, he has only used guys back-to-back days 10 times this year. Last year, at this time, was 21. Buck being Buck. The year before, it was 22, 25, 30 times. He's managing the bullpen a little bit differently. And yes, does it open the can, open the door sometimes for teams to come back because they're facing relievers maybe that they shouldn't? Yes, but come the end of the year when they got to buckle down and Seth Lugo's got to go uh, two times... Uh, back-to-back, Drew Smith has to go back-to-back, Diaz has to go back-to-back, it's going to matter that they didn't do it a ton now, uh, and it should help them out. But I think the Mets are a postseason team. I think that's what they got to be looking forward to. If they get that extra big bat, then I think it could propel them even further. Not shy of the money to acquire one. Absolutely not. Let's move on to the NFL. They recently released their entire league schedule. Let's just uh, go over some pointers. What do we got to start off the season? Yeah, well, first of all, I'm going to start with this, Joel. I, I hate the schedule release the way it is now. Everything gets leaked on Twitter. They've released, like, half the games get re- released by Wednesday. The schedule release is Thursday, and team insiders are just leaking the entire schedule at, like, 2 in the afternoon. What's the point in the TV spectacle? Well, this is almost like a feel like the NFL used to be only August through February. Now I feel like with the draft, with the schedule announcement, right. they're kind of trying to make it a year product. Do you think the inside leaks are almost intentional to get people talking? I think this it's just, might be right, this I, might be wrong. But I think it's BS because they just like the whole point of the idea of a schedule release is so that these TV markets like ESPN, who does the major one, can get the schedules, and that's the first time you're seeing them everybody's seen their team schedule. So what? You're waiting for Dan Orlovsky to break down your team's Week 14 game, and that's it. That's it, dude. Which he'll do a tremendous job at. Of course he will. I love Dan. Love that whole NFL Live crew. Regardless, a few years ago, you couldn't find that schedule until that night, and it got released on television. There used to be an embargo on that stuff, and I think they should go back to it because otherwise it's just meaningless, honestly. Like, I I knew the Giants' schedule at 3 in the afternoon on Thursday. From the timetable of it being released, let's go into week one, oh. game one matchup. Rams versus Bills, Von Miller's on the other side. They kick it off in a big way. What are you expecting for this these teams particularly? And do does one team's early win fall to the other team's success? I don't. I you know, I'm not a big fan of week like, you know, week one games are what they are. But I do believe two heavyweights though. I do believe this is a big heavy heavyweight game. They're in different conferences, so this really won't have an impact on like the number one seed or something like that. 
Uh, so maybe a little less fire there. Maybe Super Bowl preview. A ton Could of best be. will go that way. Could be. Um, but I think we're going to see fireworks, Jolan. I really do. I don't know if we're going to see the defenses settle in uh, in week one. I expect a lot of fireworks out there in L.A. It should be a blast. Von Miller, I, I would, my guess here in early May, he probably has the sack that wins the game. I just, that you, Von Miller is that kind of dude. Isn't it crazy, too, how Von Miller was such a, a core piece in the Broncos just to find himself as one of the best journeymen now who can really change a locker room yeah. defensively? Change he's a locker room and the, change a team. Yeah, he's looked at now as that leader, that, that next step guy, where obviously he's been a Hall of Famer. Yeah. But people are going to look back and say, wow, Von Miller's addition really separated our team. Did it with the Rams last Completely year. Completely agree. So you think the Bills have that now in their defense with Vaughn? I do. I, I mean, the Bills, all they had to do was stop an offense for 13 seconds, and they would they would have probably gone on to win the AFC last year. Wild. Or at least they would have gotten to compete with Cincinnati. So, uh, yeah, man, it's it, it's wild. $120 million for 13 seconds. To a team Vaughn led with the Broncos, to a team Russ is now leading in the Broncos. Yep. They go back to Seattle week one. Do you expect a revenge game for Russ, or is there any bad blood there? Yeah, I'm actually I'm blanking. Is that is that week one? Is that a week uh, one matchup? Early on the schedule. Let me look. Um, but yeah, regardless, regardless, it's going to be an emotional game, um, right? This didn't leave with on, on on ugly terms. Like Russ is beloved in Seattle for what he was able to do for them. He should he should have two Super Bowls. Um, obviously, only has the one. And he's got a lasting legacy there. It is week one. It is week one. Yep. So right, right off the bat. Right to the business. Um, goes back to the great Northwest. And, yeah, I mean, they, they love that guy. So they'll have a tribute video. Um, it'll be really cool. I'm sure they'll they'll uh, hook up his family with tickets and, and, and a nice suite and everything like that. Uh, obviously, Giants-Cowboys are playing Thanksgiving. Oh, do, you, do you think this Giants team's good enough for the three, two primetime games they're in? Third being Thanksgiving, not in primetime slot. No, it, it is it is one, and, and then it's Thanksgiving. Uh, so if you count Thanksgiving at 4.30, a primetime slot, they only have two. Um, the third, I guess, is the London game. I mean, that's that's they'll be the standalone game at that point. Um, regardless, I don't know. I really... This giant team, like, I hear a lot of people talk about how easy their schedule is, how easy it is. You guys got to understand, when the Giants play crappy football teams, they're still not a great football team. Like, we say this as if we have the Rams roster. We say this in hopes of being 2012, 2008 Giants. Right. That's or, what they say it is. Or that, or that we're the Rams and we run rough shot through our schedule because it's weak. That's just not who the Giants are yet. The Giants are still a couple years away. And uh, I want to see improvement, Joel. I'm like, I'm glad. Like, optimism's a good thing. We have to table the optimism. I, I, I'm serious. I've heard some crazy, crazy stuff so far early on. Which is crazy, too, because with the um, signing of Tyrod Taylor, it's almost as if the Giants can win more games without Daniel Jones than with him. But that actually brings us into a good segue of what we're going to start doing over the next couple weeks. Uh, we're going to be predicting the over-unders set by Vegas. We'll start this week with the NFC East. The Giants have the least amount of wins predicted. They have seven. Do you go over or under here? I go under here. Again, like I said, I just don't think the Giants are as great of a football team as Vegas is giving them credit for. Recently lost Bradbury. Lost James Bradbury. Still have a massive hole at corner right there. And they play Tennessee week one in Nashville, and I'm not looking forward to that game because I am year. worried they are going to, not even that, just punch us in the mouth uh, and really kick our teeth in, but... Yeah, I see I see under seven. Free money if you're going against the Giants this year. We'll move on to the Washington Commanders. They had a big acquisition at quarterback this year in Carson Wentz. Some say that's not a big move. 
Others disagree and think this is where he could revitalize his career. They're set at seven and a half. Where do you go here? I'm going under because I'm going to seven. I think they I think they can get the seven wins. Uh, their defense is good, and then obviously it's just how well can Carson Wentz play and how well and how consistent can Carson Wentz be. I think I think they can get to to six or seven wins, but I would say seven. We move on to the Philadelphia Eagles. Now the Philadelphia Eagles have made a lot of noise recently. With the acquisition of A.J. Brown, of course, giving uh, Jalen Hurts that number one target. Devontae Smith's now a certified number two, probably one of the best in the league. Do you think this Eagles team wins more than nine games or loses more than nine games? Oh, this is tough. I probably, and right, it's all on the arm of Jalen Hurts. How well can Jalen Hurts play? I know he's got all the weapons, but we've seen guys with weapons before. If you're just not good at the quarterback position, you're not, you're not going to be successful. Um, I would say he's... Uh, A.J. Brown should be prepared because uh, he's going with a downgraded quarterback from Ryan Tannehill to, to Jalen Hurts. I do. I, I Tannehill doesn't do as much with his legs. But he I think can. his, his arm... receiver turned yeah, quarterback. But I think his arm is solid. Like, I think Jalen Hurts is... I, I just don't see the Jalen Hurts hype. I really don't. And so I think this team... Man, this is hard. I think... I, I'm going to go with a push. I think they win nine games. I think they have a lot of veteran leadership on that team. Jason Kelsey's still in that locker room. Uh, they've got a lot of good guys on that defensive side of the ball. I think they I think they push at nine. With the final team in the NFC East, we'll go with the Dallas Cowboys. Obviously, Dak Prescott's probably the best quarterback in this division. Sadly. But they have lost Amari Cooper because they're paying Zeke yep. 20-plus million a year. Where do you go with the Cowboys? They're set at 10 wins. Uh, under, they win zero games. No, I wish. Could you imagine? I would love it. Um, it's... Yeah, it's going to kill me because this is the hard part, right? Like, you have to go against historical trends because historical trends have, or you should go with them because history is bound to repeat itself. There hasn't been a repeat winner in this division. Almost, though, as if it's been so long, you want to roll a dice on it. You do. I. It's hard. It's hard. But if you're going to, if I'm going to predict Dallas not to win it, I have to go the over on Philly because I think Dallas gets to a bare minimum nine. I, I'll go over, and I'll Repeats. say, and I'll say we have a repeat. I think they get to eleven wins. I, I'm okay with saying that. Um, I know they've lost a decent amount, but I was never a big fan of Amari Cooper anyway. And I think Ceedee Lamb's going to be real good. Uh, and we'll see if they can get back to things up front. Actually, this is hard. I don't know. Tens a lot. I don't 17 know. Week, Eighteen weeks. I, I kind of want to. I'm going to flip. I'm going to flip here on the air. I'm going to go Dallas under. They win nine, and I'm going to flip Philly to over. Oof. And I think Philly wins ten games. Wins They beat the Giants in the last game of the regular season and win the division. And if you're a betting man, that probably works great for you because now you could have a division winner, clear-cut, no pushes, and you yeah. have all your over-unders. Yep. It's going to be an interesting matchup, obviously. I do think the Giants are at the bottom of this list. And I, I do. do think, uh, like I agree with you, the Eagles are at the top. They just made... Some big splashes. They were a playoff team last year with three first-round picks this year, right. or two rather, trading one off to next year. Yep. They have the artillery really to make a splash, and that front office is a gold mine for the rest of the league. Howie Roseman. Like, yeah, they overturned so and many Joe players. And Joe Douglas. Joe Douglas now with the Jets came from Philly. We just took. Um, I've, I'm blanking on his name. Our new assistant GM is from over there. Oh, I know who you're talking about. I'm blanking on his uh, name too. Yeah, but just they have been a gold mine for yeah. front office. So obviously their team's headed in the right direction with the guys at the helm they have. I do like the Eagles here, honestly. Yeah. Um. Then our last point, NFL. 
Sauce Gardner has a crazy, crazy matchup um, to start the year. And let me just read off some of his matchups. Do you think this year one, after I read these, is going to define him? Right now, we have Amari Cooper. He goes against week two. Jamar Chase, week three. Tyreek Hill, week 15 and 18. Cortland Sutton, week, week seven. Week five, they get Tyreek Hill. Stephon Diggs, week nine and 14. Justin Jefferson, week 13. And DK Metcalf, week 17. Do you think if Sauce Gardner has a down year, this will define his career and make him a bust pick at number four, if you will? Um, if we're going to talk about the idiot fan base, then yes. If we're going to talk realistically speaking and people that watch the game of football and know things, that's, that's as nice as I'm going to put it, it won't. It'll actually be one of the best things for him. And it'll likely be a humbling experience. And who knows? Maybe he is the guy everybody's talking about and shuts those guys down, and now he's your cornerstone that, you, that you're hoping that he is right now. The Jets, and this is why I want Schaefer in here, and I know he's been busy. We're trying to get him on. Their schedule to start the year is utterly absurd. They have to survive who up until their bye. Their schedule goes Baltimore, uh, uh, home Baltimore at Cleveland, home to Cincinnati, at Pittsburgh, home to Miami, at Green Bay, at Denver, home against New England, and home against the Bills. That's brutal. And so you look at the back half of the schedule, right? So then that, then they get their bye, and you're like, well, this is an easy schedule. Except a couple games here, at New England, home against Chicago, at Minnesota, at Buffalo, home to Detroit, home to Jacksonville, at Seattle, at Miami. Right, those road games I think are tricky. They're always tricky to predict, but especially with the Jets, at New England isn't always a great place for them to play. At Buffalo, I think Minnesota at home is a different team than they are on the road, Kirk Cousins in particular. And then at Miami. They always play Miami close, but at Miami, I mean it's January. New team. There in could Miami be now. there could be a lot of humidity down there. I just think that first half of the schedule, Jolan, I don't sleep on the second half. That first half of the schedule is brutal. Do you think almost their acquisitions this past year and how well they've done is almost hindered by the fact how good the rest of the AFC got? Yeah, I mean, it's hard, right? Like, the, the, And Zach Kruk was telling me about this, our buddy. Uh, the Giants actually have higher Super Bowl odds to win or have better odds to win the Super Bowl than the Jets do. And that's simply because it's not organizationally. That is the Jets playing the AFC and the Giants playing the NFC. The there are significantly greater teams in the AFC than there are in the NFC. I think if you rank the top teams in the league, you're going to find about a 75-25 split between AFC and NFC. I think it's I think it's that big of a gap. And, uh, yeah, so the Jets, in my opinion, they just get hindered because they're playing in a harder conference. But, again, we'll see. And I and I think they'll, they'll shock and steal a game in that hard stretch. But, you know, if you really got hopes for a wild card to really see some major, major progress... I'd be concerned that first stretch. I think we'll do justice next week. We'll do the AFC East. Perfect. We'll stay on the east side, go north, south, and we'll end up in the major west. So that's basically it. Perfect. And that's going to do it here for episode 59. You can always reach out to me on Twitter, at Goose on the Mic, uh, both Instagram and Twitter. Joel, where might the people be able to reach you and or the podcast? You can reach us on Twitter at Podcast Aired Out or on Instagram at aired.podcast. You could reach me personally on Twitter and Instagram. At good old Joel's, any questions, comments, concerns, or compliments, or if you want to be on the show, you could always feel free to reach out to us. 
And if you think our takes suck, yeah, you can tell us that too. Absolutely. We want you on the show. Guys, just again, a real uh, quick point. We talked about it last week at the end of the show. Mental health, please reach out. Please, get the help you need. I'd rather hear your story than your funeral. You are loved. Find somebody. Find us. If we've got to be your outlet, come find us. Joel, we're working. I'm working on getting some guests to talk specifically about some of this stuff uh, because I think we are headed down a very scary road uh, based on the generation and kids and, and what their lifestyles look like now as athletes compared to what we went through. Uh, so that will continue to be a topic here on the podcast. That's not to make you depressed. That's not to you know get you guys to stop listening. It's very important, and it's important right now in our youth as we see them grow. And in, and instead of hearing some of these stories, we can hear the successes that they're having in their lives. Jolan, that's going to do it for episode 59. So until next week, until episode 60. Take care of your chickens. Take care of your mental. Put it in the books. Yeah.